You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Monday, so it's time for Shapiro World with David Shapiro from Sassarin Securities. Uh, David Shapiro was absent for a couple of weeks, firstly because of traveling and then because of something that happened while he was traveling. And David has kindly allowed me to ask him questions about what did happen. And some of it's intensely personal. So, David, thank you very much. I'm glad to see you back in the land of the living. But just just tell us before we get into the results and just to preview what we're going to talk about later, Tungela Limited, ABSA and, and Spur, we'll, we'll brush on those but uh, what happened to you you went to america to join your wife where you spend quite a bit of time you have a property Mm. there what happened on the trip to america i mean it's a 16 hour trip halfway i had an old man's problem which is uh um it's not uncommon for men to have prostate issues as they grow older it's just it's 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 one of those things about getting older i monitored it and i was taking uh, certain pills, but um, I'd gone to sleep. I dozed off, and halfway through, when I woke up, I had uh, un- urinary retention. In other words, I couldn't go to the toilet, which is a very uncomfortable situation. Horrible. Hmm. Uh, just, just an awfully uncomfortable situation. You know, you know that you still got seven hours of flight before you can do anything about it. And uh, I was in a bit of trouble, and I knew that I had to approach the the staff, the attendants, and uh, luckily there was a doctor and a nurse on board, and uh, they tried to alleviate the situation by catheterizing me, but the equipment was very basic and not not sufficient, and what saved me was that I had an injection which relaxed the muscles, so my bladder wasn't uh, contracting. But, Lindsay, I think that what happened from then on was was quite traumatic. Traumatic in a sense of Nothing, I'm not talking about physical damage, but just walking off a plane, you know, uh, what the what the pilot said was that, yes, you know, we would have paramedics to uh, assist you as you came off the plane. And they asked everyone not to move off the plane until I'd got off. We did, but just before you go on, David, just before you go, were yeah. you um, in distress and did you... I mean, I know what I would have done. I would have panicked because yeah. I don't like being in an enclosed place. I don't like being a, not able to yeah. you know, do what I would normally do. And on an aeroplane, <laughs> that exacerbates this, the, the situation. Were you in distress and did you panic? No, I certainly didn't panic. Mm. But I knew that I had to do something. This is not something I could uh, – I had to go straight to hospital. Yeah. But um, – the captain, no one came to see me, and, I, and the staff were almost indifferent. You know, they, they sympathized but uh, couldn't do anything. You know, the, the, I must admit that the doctor from St. Louis, a chap by the name of Tim Jennings, and Stephanie, uh, I can't remember her surname as it is, but they were very sweet, you know, professional. Yeah. Anyway, I get off the airplane, and I'm expecting the paramedics to perhaps take me somewhere and, uh, you know, just, just help me out of my distress. But, but at the end, I was greeted by the so-called paramedics who did my, who took my blood pressure and said to me, well, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to New Jersey Hospital or do you want to go to New York? Now, <laughs> I'm in Newark and I'm saying, okay, this is an hour drive. Uh, if, I go to, if I go to New Jersey, it's very difficult for my wife to come and see me. She hasn't got a car. Um, and it's better to go to uh, New York. And luckily, I'd phoned my daughter, and they said, go to New York Presbyterian, where they have a urology department. So I knew where I was heading. 
Um, I said, I'm not going in an ambulance. I mean, you know, I mean, well, they didn't really do anything for me. They just managed to uh, maybe take me through customs a little quicker than I would have, which was hardly a, a benefit. Luckily, I got a driver from a taxi from the chap was from Ghana, and I think he, he learned how to drive in the streets of Soweto because he got me to the hospital in record time. He <laughs> cowered driving. Good. I mean, you know, anybody who knows New York, um, in peak hour, you you don't have many arteries in which to get from New Jersey to, to New York. But once again, I arrived there. I'm now uh, you know, in a bit of distress. Mm. Uh, my wife had come now. She, she had met me, and my daughter was now on her way down from Boston. So we're now going into the emergency clinic, and then the security guard stops you. Stop. Oh, no. I, want, I need to search your luggage. <laughs> you say, oh, my God. You know, I've got luggage, and, and, and I have to get on a table and start opening up everything so he could go through to see that I wasn't bringing anything in. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing. He's doing his job. But, I mean, there's no sense of, listen, this is an emergency. And eventually I get to, uh, you know, to the desk, and I now have to uh, – you now have to register, you know, what's your name, where you're from, blah, blah, blah. And you're going through all the details. And then people are very, uh, you know, there's no, there's no sensitivity at all. It's just objective. Well, go sit there, have your blood, you know, have another um, um, blood pressure test and you wait now. Now you wait to get into the emergency clinic. And by the time I, I then was sent into a room, and by the time you go from bed, not from bed, from chair to chair, waiting around before somebody eventually came, before I could find a bed and before they could send someone down to actually catheterize me properly and alleviate the pressure. Now, Lindsay, from the time that I felt, you know, the urge, this was halfway through the flight, to the time that this happened was could have been anywhere from you know up to 10 hours. Okay, so you seven know, hours was, on the plane and then three hours once you disembarked. And another three hours mm. afterwards, yeah. Mm. Another three hours. Just negotiating the systems, getting into the, the hospital. Yes. From then on, you wait. You're now in an emergency room where everybody's kind. And this is what, this is what worried me is that as I observed it, all the nurses, all the doctors were full time they were they were up and down and up and down there just weren't there wasn't enough there weren't enough facilities mm. and there weren't enough doctors and nor everything seemed to be random you know it didn't seem to be organized you never knew when the doctor was going to come and see you when the nurse was going to come and see you and it was another well over 5 hours by this time my daughter had driven all the way down from boston it was another 5 to 6 hours before i actually got out you know to go back to my flat with a cath catheter in. Uh, they took, you know, the doctors literally gave you two minutes. That's it. Came in. And it's a doctor. He's not a urology expert. Mm. He kind of made a few remarks and that. I didn't care. I just wanted to get out. So you eventually get home, you know, uh, after this harrow harrowing experience. And and that that's really when my trouble started as well. I'm now I'm now stuck there not knowing where to go to next. No one can really help you. They did say make a make a uh, appointment with a urologist, which I did for the next day. So now this is uh, Wednesday. 
you know, I arrived on Tuesday. I make an appointment with a urologist at the hospital, all associated with this learning hospital. This is part of Columbia University. But uh, in the meantime, I'm phoning my urologist here, my doctor friend, and he says, look, if you can have the procedure there, do it. In other words, do it there. You know, in other words, uh, uh, it has to be done. So you're now, well, how do, I, how do I do this? So I'm hoping that by the time I see the urologist the next day, um, he would give me advice and maybe we can make a, a procedure. Well, your appointment's 15 minutes. You know, you go in there, I'm standing. In other words, I can't sit because I'm very uncomfortable and I'm standing and he's and I'm trying to give him a bit of history. Uh, he's not interested in my history. I told him, you know, what where I was. He wasn't interested. Um, my daughter promised that I could see some people in Boston. I think all he said, well, listen, we'll take the catheter out by Friday and go up to Boston, whatever. So he seemed to suggest that everything's fine. You know, I'm talking to him. He says, well, take out the catheter and, uh, you know, you can then decide what did to you do. Feel, excuse me for interrupting again, but did you feel confident in his knowledge of your particular condition or was he just someone that had a general? Not at all. No. No. Okay. No. He's, a, he's an expert. Eh? He's hmm. an expert, but, I mean, there was no touching me. There was no asking me questions. They were very superficial kinds of questions which were noted. And my daughter was furious. She was, she's, she's used to the American system. She was absolutely appalled by his mannerisms and his manner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was stuck. Anyway, I, I was hoping that, okay, by Friday, you know, things would return to normal once the catheter was out and then I would have time to make decisions. So Friday morning, I go for the appointment and there's what they call a male nurse takes out my catheter. Okay. And uh, I, oh, things are easy. You know, I can. I'm, I'm okay. But by mid-afternoon, I knew I was in trouble again. Oh, no. Yeah. So Was your life ever in danger, oh, David? Was your life ever in danger, did you think? No, no, no. Not in danger, but, but very uncomfortable. Mm. You, you must remember you're in New York. So for me to get from where we are, is, is every every ride is through mid traffic, through an Uber, you know, through a train. It's it's, it's not uh, it's not down the road. You know, everything is a, is is a mission. Mm-hmm. And by the this is by Friday evening, I was I was in trouble. So the hospital is in 158th Street. We live in 60th. So I mean, there's there's over 100 blocks, which is in an eight kilometer in the mid in in Friday evening, New York. Oh. Um, Lindsay, this is the Bronx. Mm. Um, this is, I'm now there, back there, half past eight, Friday evening, needing another emergency. Well, that's, that's something that you only see on Grey's Anatomy or ER or any of those programs. You know, once more, uh, it was an issue. When you at, say it was an issue, ER, what did you mean? Because it's a Friday night, because it's, you know, it's it's yeah, the Bronx, and there's nothing yeah. against the Bronx because everywhere's been yeah. gentrified in you. But no, there were no, obviously no, no. quite no, a no. lot of other issues that needed to be attended to apart from yours. That, yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of people there needing an emergency service or needing medical attention. Yeah. Uh, we eventually got in, you know, I, I, I normally, ha- then I had to wait another about an hour or so. I was catheterized again, and we got out at midnight, more than midnight, one o'clock in the morning, we were gone. 
So you wait and wait and wait. The only good news I got, the only good news I got was from the doctor who attended me who said, you can fly home with a catheter. And at that stage, I knew that with all the people that I'd been speaking to and with everybody in the medical service, there was no one that's going to attend to me uh, with, you know, in, in America. It would take weeks. It would take it would take appointments, which I would have to make, which would take days. And thereafter, the follow-up would take weeks before I could get uh, some kind of attention I needed. So I want to make a couple of basis, points here, if, if, if I can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, some airlines wouldn't have taken you. Some airlines will say, this is too much of a risk, because if something happens, then we have to put, yeah. the, put the plane down uh, somewhere earlier than, than normal and get you off the airplane, which costs the airline a fortune. It also stresses out the uh, attendance, uh, so we won't take you. But obviously, the airline that you took, and you don't need to name it, uh, allowed yeah. you to do so. But the second point I'd like yeah. to make is this is the richest country in the world, David. It's the yes, world's largest yes, economy. The and they, and their, the their health service has failed you and presumably lots and lots of other people. You went from Tuesday to Friday in extreme pain, presumably, yeah, and yeah. distress. That's a, With, we've used the word several uh, times. But it, uh, I find it an, an untenable situation. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you know, what struck me is that there was nobody in the emergency hospital or anybody I saw who understood my situation or wanted to help. Now, the possibility is that they may have people as who they put on catheters for months, you know, for months. I don't know. I, I, it's a very uncomfortable situation to mm. be in. But I just, I cut my losses then. Uh, at, uh, on, on Saturday, I decided to rebook my flight and fly out Sunday evening to arrive back here Monday night and I was in touch with my urologist, and uh, he was going for a procedure himself, nothing more than a, a checkup. You know, he wanted to take a week's leave. So, but I mean, he would have brought it forward maybe a day or so. But by Thursday, you know, I arrived Monday evening. By Thursday, I was being operated on. And that Monday, which is a week ago, I was uh, released. I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. And I mean, in terms of where I am physically. But I think the point. That, that that you made was what really distressed me. You know, was, yes, I wasn't, uh, I understand the health services there, but there was nobody that was prepared to to help me uh, address my situation, you know. And this could be that's the system. You know, that is the system. There's just so many people. It is, there's, there, there's just an overwhelming uh, need for medical services that they can't really cope. Well, this is this is. Uh, I mean, David. I mean, David. Yeah. You remember Donald Trump, and this is these. This is his yes. word that he used. Do you remember that famous quote that he he said, which was leaked out? He said, and he was referring to Africa specifically. He referred to African countries as shithole countries. Well, I would imagine yes. that after people listening to this and hearing your experience in the world's richest economy, uh, yeah. I don't think that they've covered themselves in glory on, no. on, on this one. And no. it, every time I hear a story about America, it puts me off. Me, it puts me off going there. I have to say, it's it absolutely scares me. It scares me that you know when I'm there visiting, what can happen and 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 how difficult it would be to get any kind of emergency service, you know, or any kind of uh, issue. Now I'm covered here medically. 
Yeah. It's not that I haven't got the cover, but but I think what it brought me in touch with was just the overwhelming uh, need for better services. I never felt at one stage, you know, to get out of the hospital, you had to nag, you had to get, you know, luckily I've got, I had my daughter and I had my wife who don't give up, you know, and, and you'd have to go search for a nurse. You had to go search for the doctor to give you the attention. And I was lying there, you know, in a, in a room joint with a, one chap, you know, who had some heart issues and that. This is at midnight on a Friday night, on a Friday night or thereabouts. And he had game shows full blast, you know, you know, these <laughs> game shows and that. And people were coming in and screaming at him and he was screaming back. And I just thought, what hell is this? You know, how can they, how can they be in, in just, you know, it's such disarray. The pe- the nurses were good. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. No. The doctors were well. It's just that, you know, there were just too many people uh, requiring too much uh, attention. Anyway, you uh, came back to so, South, you came back to South Africa. If you hadn't had your daughter there and your wife there, and your wife there, your wife travels yeah. regularly to the United States of America, mm. and your daughter lives there. If you hadn't have had that inside knowledge, your daughter's inside knowledge of where to go and how to do things. If you were just a tourist, you know, you're just walking around with a backpack, or you're, you're a couple of retirees that are going to New York for the first time, you would have been in big trouble, David. Absolute trouble because they have a number of clinics. You know, there are a huge number of these clinics that you can just walk into. But in every case you looked at, sorry, we're full, you know, go down to the one three blocks down or that kind of attitude. You know, um, there's no, there, there, there's no, what's the word, sense of urgency. Hmm. And, um, you know, that, that concerned me a lot. I, we knew it was only through my daughter, Karen, uh, and her friends, you know, she lived in New York for a long time. She built up a lot of friends who were medical people right. and who gave her and said, for your father's problem, go to New York Presbyterian. That's where the best urology department is. If I would have just come off the plane, I would not have known where to go. Hmm. Where, where do I go? I go to a taxi driver and I say, where should I go? You know, they could have taken me to Mount Sinai or this side or who knows where you would have landed up and what would have happened. And I would imagine that every hospital was in a similar situation. So I'm, I, I would, you know, when I think of South Africa as well, I just have sympathy for people, you know, who, who find themselves in similar situations and have to come, you know, have to confront emergency services. So um, what, what I've learned, and I've been a big proponent of this, Oh, the first thing I thought, Lindsay, and this is, I just thought, how did they cope with COVID? How on earth did they manage? Well, they didn't. You You, you know what I'm trying to say? They didn't. No. And I, what what I thought of is how many people died needlessly, you know, just because there just wasn't enough um, service to look after them. Okay. You know, um, I'm not blaming. Why, yeah. why I say that is that that becomes mm. a government issue. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That becomes a government issue. And you've got, you've got uh, constitutions, you've got all these things about how they protect people. But I just thought, what happened if I would have had COVID or something like that? 
what on earth would have happened to me? You know, I think hundreds of thousands, well, maybe tens of thousands of people worldwide have died because yeah. of the lack of resources, the lack of yes. Um, yes. D- uh, dentists and uh, sorry, not dentists. I'll come to de- the dental thing in a second, yeah. very briefly before we leave this uh, subject, which has been very interesting. But also, I, I feel for you. I mean, it was days and days and days that you went through this in the world's, you know, it's you know, the Big Apple, the, the the financial center of the world, and the financial center of the world cannot provide proper medical attention to a visitor. Who's gone there? An investor in that yep. in, in that mm. country who pays taxes in that country, presumably. But whatever it is, the fact is that they failed you, and they're obviously failing a lot of other people without the wherewithal that you and your mm. family um, yep. have. Uh, just one other a, a point here, David. Uh, two more, actually. How did South Africa treat you when you got back? Oh no, I, I, comp- I was at Netcare. Good. They, they were superb, absolutely superb. I'm not. Not for a second. From the time I got there, uh, you know, thank goodness I made the decision. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, it was the right decision. And uh, from the time I got there, uh, I can't complain about the care. I don't want this to come across. Oh, here's a man who's could be wealthy or who's who's middle class or upper middle class. You know, complaining. No, I'm not. Um, you you've summed it up beautifully. You know, here is a tourist coming across there, comes with a medical condition, you're finished. You know what I mean? You're, you, there is nobody to take care of you. And, and I think that's, that's perhaps the message that I was trying to put across there. I, I, I expected some kind of, you know, uh, I expected a bit of sympathy, uh, somebody to put their arm around me and say, don't worry, we're going to take care of this, blah, blah, blah. My doctor had said, do the procedure there. Get the procedure done there. In other words, that's how he felt about it. He didn't want to take the risk of me trying to come back without the procedure or maybe with a catheter. You know, no one thought about that. But there was no chance that I would have got that uh, in any immediate attention. It would have taken months of negotiation and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think you should. Uh, you know, you're you're a good writer. You're a good scribe. You write for yeah, the yeah. for a, 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 a Johannesburg-based newspaper every single week, and people enjoy it. I think you should write some kind of letter to the New York yep. Times and highlight. Obviously, that what we've just spoken about is too detailed, and they would never publish it. But I think mm. you could write something, and yep. uh, the New York Times would be very, very interested in that. Uh, last point mm. on this one is that in the United Kingdom, which is a G7 country, obviously it's nowhere near as powerful economic as the United States of America and it's in a bit of disarray at the moment for various reasons but I've been watching programs about for example the dental profession and there was an interview with um, a couple of people that haven't been able to get a dentist appointment uh, on the NHS for two years they book for two years in advance and there was an old woman who's pulling her own teeth out because of the intense pain that she's going through and it was distressing Again, that word distress. But what, you know, what are people focusing on? Financial services? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Aren't we the best? The city of London, uh, New York, yeah. etc. Where we're doing mm. so well. On the other hand, people are being failed. David, um, yeah. Absa, Lindsay. The... That's the mm. that's the point. Yeah. Go and look and see how much of your tax, how much of my taxes go, your ta- taxes they go into medicine, go into health. You're entitled. I mean, it's a basic part of the Constitution, you know, to to protect the people or to provide them with 
those services. But I, I just what I saw around me was was certainly not that. And and again, I don't, I am not criticising the doctors. I am not criticising the nurses. They are run off their feet, and because of that, they cannot give the attention that they need to. What I'm trying to say is that that uh, when you're on a 12-hour shift and you're working that full 12 hours, you know, you can't really do much good. No, uh, because your your senses are, are numbed yeah. and um, you without sleep, you maybe make a mistake, you forget something. I don't know, but yeah. it's, it's not it's not a good situation, and not enough people are going no. into the into the profession because you know some young people these days don't yeah. want to work, don't want to study for five to no. eight years uh, to become a nurse or a doctor or a dentist or a surgeon or something like that. Mm. It's just too much. They want instant gratification, and I don't blame them for that yeah. either. But on the other hand. Uh, in the, the long term, very, 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 very difficult situation to fix. David, let's yeah. look at the markets now and then football yeah. after that. Uh, today we had, uh, <laughs> it's been a boring day today. Uh, ABSA came out yeah. with numbers though. You, you love to talk about yeah. banks, sometimes uh, in glowing terms, mostly in disparaging terms. No, not disparaging, just dismissive no. terms. In other words, they're okay, they're well run. Uh, but on the other hand, they're based yeah. on the economy, which is uh, in the doldrums. Look, they, 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 if you want to get a good dividend and uh, you enjoy investing for dividends, then it's a, it's a decent company. I think that it's not going to be able to grow the same as it has now. And I think that down the line, um, all the provisions have been reversed and you're going to find things getting a bit tougher now. I'll have to increase those provisions. But I mean, I can't fault the banks for the quality of management. You know, they're, they're operating well. And uh, they're solid businesses, but um, are they growth kind of companies? Are you going to be able to increase your wealth? Not not preserve your wealth, but increase your wealth? I don't think so. You know, they, they're good. They're fine. You know, you, you're going to get a decent dividend yield. You're not paying a lot for them. But, um, you know, it's not the kind of business that excites me. That, that that really gets me going. Mm-mm. No, no, I, I, I don't think I've ever been able, once in my life, been able to say ABSA gets me going. Apart from the fact when I got my credit <laughs> card, because I'm an ABSA bank, I, I bank with ABSA yeah. purely because of inertia. And also they're quite good on customer service. They've really jacked up their oh. service r- recently. And I, I remember once getting a... A credit card sent to me in the Netherlands very, very quickly, and I was pleased with that. But otherwise, getting excited about any bank, I'm sorry, no. I don't. They, they boom time investment. When people are borrowing money to expand their businesses or even borrowing money to spend whatever it is, you know, to buy motor cars or to buy houses, or alternatively, there's lots of M&A in you know, a merger and acquisition activity, when there's a lot of trading opportunities, that's when you make money in banks. And I think in our economy, I can't see that happening. Nor can I see that in the U.S. You know, it's, it's not, it's, uh, we're not going into boom times there. So, uh, you know, at best, they're, they're, they're decent, they're safe investments, but I don't think you're going to improve your riches by, by improving, you know, by going into banks. Um, together is a coal company which was spun off from Anglo-American PLC. It's not the sort of thing you would touch for your clients because you don't like the cyclicality and the volatility of commodities. 
price-wise yeah. and also companies that ply their trade in the commodity space. So this is not one that you would probably be investing in unless a client says, I need Tungela, David. Uh, but you, you had a look at their results. You had a cursory look at their yeah. results, right? Yes. And? Remember, this is a company that came from a loss situation when mm. Anglo-American unbundled it. The company was making losses. You know, the coal market was down in the doldrums. Oil prices were down. And then we got the war. And, and that changed the fortune. So mm. you've seen an absolutely, I mean, it's, it's almost as though a fairy godmother has come and touched this business because it's been an outstanding uh, performance. And a lot, all of that has to do with the, with the coal price. You know, most, in fact, I think all of their production is exported and at super prices. So you've had the RAND, you've had everything in their favor. The only negative is that Transnet has let them down. They could have done better if they could have got more of their production to the to the coast. Where do we go to from here? I think as, if oil prices remain where they are, coal prices uh, uh, remain where they are, the company can do well and can at least maintain where they are now. So it's not a demanding – it's not demanding. The share price has held up very well. But, I mean, this is just one of these success stories that – that nobody expected and has been, you know, it's just been one of the consequences of Russia deciding to take out the Ukraine. Yeah, as I say in England, it's an ill wind that blows nobody good. So, yeah, yes. uh, people have benefited from from, from this war. Okay, yep. the other one is a tiny little company, but one that's close to my heart, not because of uh, investing in it, but because of going to it on a Saturday afternoon, looking after the kids, and you bung them in, um, in, in uh, I don't know, what, <laughs> the, the play area or something, the Spur Corporation. Yeah, again, come from a it's it's a decent business, you know. I I think we're going to see these companies improve um, all along the line. They've got some good franchises. I can't. I I love Spur. I think Rocker Mamas is doing brilliantly. Um, you know, some of the other businesses uh, um, also doing well. But um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, again, it's going to be a function of the economy. Where they might feel the squeeze, and I've got to go into this in greater detail because this was a trading uh, update, yes. is they're all going to feel the squeeze on input costs. How much can they pass down, you know, to the consumer? Remember, I mean, you've got massive food inflation. Uh, you've got other inflations as well. You know, you've got, it's not only food inflation, it's, it's, it's energy inflation. Every one of those every one of the shops is going to have to pay a lot more for the gas on their cookers and so on. And it's, it's, it's really a matter of how much they can pass down. Um, what I have found is our companies are pretty resilient and they adapt to circumstances. You know, what they do is instead of giving you a big steak, they chop off a little bit. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's slightly smaller than it was. Or they, well, they all companies do that, David. I can remember when I was young buying a, a, yeah. a chocolate bar called a Twix. And I would buy the Twix. Yep. And to me, yep. this thing was huge. I mean, it would take me a day to eat the blasted thing. Yeah. And now I look at yeah. the Twix and it can fit into the palm of my hand. Yeah. Is it because I've yeah. ju I've grown to be you know, quite tall <laughs> and my hands have got bigger? Or is it because it's shrinkage, definite shrinkage, yeah. without a doubt shrinkage. They have... They they give you the same product, but it's smaller, and the price mm. is the mm. same or even higher. So, yeah, yeah, of course they do. That's what they do. They're con men. But but that's it's a good business. It's just I, I think in an inflationary environment, in a tight economy where people's you know people are not going to be able to spend as much as they have, 
uh, they may might come under pressure. But I can't, you know, I can't fault them. Uh, I can't fault management. There. The shares down about a percent today. Um, but I need to go through it in, in, in greater detail. I think a lot of those businesses are going to find it more difficult to, uh, you know, to do well against higher inflation. Is it still and, and, and run, sorry, David, again, four, is, it, is uh, it still run by that um, chap? I can't remember his name. Alan Amler. No, 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 no. Spur I'm talking about. Uh, Pierre, yes, Pierre, yes, he was the founder. Um, um, yeah, I can't remember them. And they listed in the think, Netherlands or they moved their headquarters yeah, to the Netherlands at one it, stage, didn't they? I can't remember. No, I've, sure. I've got these things. Yeah, they did. Um, did they? That's interesting. Anyway, I, know, I know they went into places in the UK, which uh, uh, you know, which have battled a bit. But um, anyway, they're they're a decent business. I mean, it's a pretty decent business. I'm not. They've been plugging along for a long time. Yeah, I like their stakes. I like their product. I think it's 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 as you say, it's the kind of place that you take your children to and. Uh, They've maintained this from the 1960s. You know, this is a good more than 60 years or so. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm probably talking rubbish um, about them going to the Netherlands, <laughs> but uh, there's something in my mind that says it was. Okay, uh, the market's pretty boring today, uh, uh, David. We've got another couple of weeks of the Northern Hemisphere uh, summer, another maybe another three weeks, and then things start to get going again. Um, but um, meanwhile, football has got going. It started early because yes. of the World Cup, uh, which starts in November. Looking forward to that, even though it breaks up the season. And I must say, secretly, I know, you, I know you're going to you're going to say, "No, I've heard it all before. I've seen it all before." You must be getting a little bit excited about Arsenal with Jesus playing and yep. Zinchenko. Brilliant sign. Really amazing Brilliant signing. Sign. I mean, a, ch- you, you a, know, a snip. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, you know. When I watch, I must admit, I watched the whole Chelsea Spur game. Me too. And, Spur, and and I mean, and it was. I I didn't like it at all. I couldn't believe that Chelsea could not take advantage of the possession. They never got close to goal. You know, every every time they got there, it just broken down. I I was very disappointed in Spurs as well. I don't think they deserved the point, but that's who they are. You know, they did come back. But when I looked at someone like Hesu. And you could see what he could manufacture out of nothing. Yeah. I don't think there was anybody on the field that, uh, you know, on the stadium that could do what they did. And I must say that for once, Arsenal seemed to have those kind of players who are able, you know, Gabriel. <laughs> what's his name? <laughs> oh, God, I can't even remember his name. Which one? Uh, what are you talking about? Who? The Brazilian, Gabrielli. 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 How can I not do this? I don't yeah. know. No, no, I mean the uh, the yeah, and uh, you know for him to his goal as well. I mean, really, uh, uh, everybody there is named Gabriel, you know. So anyway, but I mean also, so Arsenal are getting Saka, and they've got those kind of players who can create uh, a bit of havoc at the back. Mm. So I, you know, I must say that from from an attraction point of view, they were a bit slow, but. But um, I didn't see that in in in, uh, in Chelsea, nor did I see it in Spurs at all. 
No, that uh, was a scrappy game, but it, it was it was made interesting, of course, by the 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 altercation the between Thomas Tuchel and um, uh, what's his name, Antonio Conte. They are, oh, they really cool. dislike each other. Oh my goodness me, Antonio Conte! I think he needs to sit down and have a little bit of a chat once once or twice a week with uh, with, with the psychologist and just sit down or yeah. do some meditation or something. He is, I mean, we we know that Latin type people are Italians. Is is what I'm trying to say yeah. here without being without being nasty they are very volatile but he is over the top he needs some help he's no, I, and look he's ex and he i mean he did so well at chelsea i don't know whether he bears any kind of a grudge but uh um uh, the, the way that they acted there and you know i'm talking about martinelli man Oh, Martinelli, the one that Martin scored the fourth Lee. goal. Ah, yes, very yeah. good. Yes, he's Sorry. a good player. The name just slipped me because there's, mm. there's Gabriel Jesus, Granit Xhaka, Gabriel Martinelli. Gabriel Fine English Lutzman. team. <laughs> <laughs> Martinelli. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's very good. I had a good. senior moment there. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, it's but, un- uh, understandable. Look, there's a good game today. There's, there's, there's Liverpool tonight, but I mean, Man United is a tragedy. It's not a tragedy, uh, actually, because it's been coming. And I always blame yeah, Sir Alex Ferguson yeah. uh, for this because, mm. in, in a way, I'm grudgingly admiring of him because he got out at the top. And he said, right, the team's mm. aging a little bit. We're, you know, we're, I'm getting out right at the top like a prize fighter. You know, I've just won the world championship and I know I'm not going to win another yeah. one, so I'll get out now. But he still sits in the, in the stands looking down at the new managers. And he had the, the chosen one who was, um, what was it, David Moyes, and that failed. I think yeah. they've had eight managers since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson yeah. left. And uh, unfortunately... None of them have lived up to his expectations. And shame, poor Eric uh, uh, Ten Hag, who's a good manager. I mean, he took uh, Ajax to the heights, despite the fact that every time an Ajax player becomes, uh, you know, um, transfer worthy, people come in and say, OK, we'll give you 40 million for him. And he he can't say anything else, because although it's a big club, it's a small club in global terms. And he's got this bunch, this rabble that just don't know what they're doing. He's. It's. I don't think it's a tragedy at all. I think it's fantastic. Four nil against Brentford after thirty-five minutes. One of the happiest um, hours of my life. They they didn't want to play. No. They just didn't want to play. No one wanted to play. No one tried. They were just outgunned. And I mean, all of these are experienced international players. It's just. It. uh, If I was a Man United fan, there's nothing you can do because you never give up your loyalties. But. But uh, really, it's 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 so tragic that a club that size can fall, you know, to to this kind of level. Anyway, bottom, bottom of the league. Anyway, uh, let's not, not talk any more about a, a football <laughs> because I've taken up too much of your time. Incidentally, uh, Spurs international head office is Suriname Plane One Two Four, Amsterdam, the Netherlands. So they they are headquartered oh, here. It is. Yeah. Okay. Pierre, Pierre de Foss or something I can't remember yeah. the old um, CEO's yeah. name he took he took okay. them there he's obviously got Dutch um, lineage or something David um, thank you very much for sharing your intensely personal details because it's a really really good story and I'm sure it'll give people a lot to chew upon later on when they sit down and listen to that yeah. David Shapiro is from Sassoon Securities and that was Shapiro World The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.